welcome this opportunity to be with you folk here this evening. Uh, I'm originally from Chicago, born and raised there, uh, but uh, when I graduated uh, from college, from Bob Jones University, I came up here to Michigan, became the school administrator at Bethany Christian School for seven years. I was there with Mike Harding. This is when I heard about the ministry here. We had uh, a couple young people that attended the school that were members here. I believe one, Russell Gilbert. I don't know if any recall Russell. Um, from there, I went to Inner City, and this is where uh, I came in contact with uh, Jacob's wife, Jennifer. She was part of our college and career class at the time. I believe you were teaching second grade, was it? Now, you were my daughter, Jessica's, or is it? Fourth grade. Was it Jonathan then? Yeah, okay. Well, she was a teacher there. I thought she taught one of my kids, one of my children, uh, and uh, was there for about five years. And then uh, the Lord called us to Lake Orion, and I'll be completing 15 years there. Uh, to make a long story short, I always thought I would make my way back to Illinois, back to Chicago, but that is not what the Lord would have of me. And I could honestly say now that Michigan is my home. In fact, my children, uh, all born and raised in Michigan. But just to tell you, just to show you the influence that a father has on their children, my boys are Chicago Bear fans. They're Chicago Bull fans. And unfortunately, and don't hold that against me and against them, they're Chicago Cub fans. <laughs> so every time we read about the Cubs uh, and the fact that they're unable to... Uh, you might say do away with the curse, whether it's the goat curse or whatever. Uh, they are uh, Chicago Cub fans. But uh, I think my son James is turning over to embrace the Tigers, so I won't hold that against him. Of course, he's been here all his life. Uh, but it's for us where my children grew up and really where my wife grew up. She's uh, initially born in Texas, but really is a native of Flint and uh Praise the Lord that, that uh, the Lord had plans and, and I met my wife and made our way here and what was unfamiliar to me was familiar to her and uh, the Lord has used her greatly. In fact, she's my job security, you know, uh, uh, and I'm sure that uh, uh, Pastor Alwart would testify to this when people say, hey, uh, we're not happy with the pastor, at least we like the wife and we'll keep the pastor for the wife's sake and that's been true for for me for 15 years, and I praise the Lord for a godly mother, a godly wife, godly example. Um, if you have your Bible, please turn to the Matthew chapter 10. We are living in a time right now when it is unpopular. In fact, it is an issue of attack. If you stand up for truth, if you stand up for the Scriptures, in fact, if if you affirm that the Bible is true, and if you affirm just one way to God, you are viewed as intolerant. And, and we're right now in an explosive situation politically where uh, there is these lines being drawn, where it seems now that every other religion is to be embraced for the exception of Christianity. And while there are certain things that will not be permitted for the Christian belief, there are now things that are being embraced by what we call non-Christians. And, and, and the whole 
point is that people want to be tolerant, people want to be accepting. But what we have here in Matthew chapter 10 is that our Lord Jesus Christ is sending out the disciples to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Now, in this passage, what we see here is a message that Jesus wants his disciples to proclaim. Simply put, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, what we observe in this context is a message that is really related to the first century. It is the kingdom offer. It is uh, the Messiah has come. Embrace your Messiah. Uh, repent. Uh, and if you receive and repent and truly by faith turn, uh, you have the blessings of the kingdom. But what we observe is that they rejected not only the message, the qualifications for the kingdom, they reject, rejected Messiah, which resulted in the crucifixion of the king. But the question that we see here and how we would apply today is, how, how do we encourage and prepare followers of Christ to proclaim the truth of the gospel to a world that does not want to hear it, could care less for it, and will hate them because of it? And, and this is what we see Jesus Christ doing with the disciples, preparing them to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to a people who do not want to hear it, could care less for it, and will hate them because of it. As we look at our world today, this is a world that embraces relativism. Uh, they are very subjective. Any message that proclaims a message of, of absolutism, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, is despised. My sister Nora, back in 2011, I'm sorry, 2001, uh, on April 1st, eloped. She called me on April 1st and said, Juan, I just got married. Because it was April 1st, I thought it was an April Fool's joke. I said, ah, this is a joke, right? And I heard silence on the other side of the phone, and I said, you really did get married. Now, you have to understand my sister, Nora. She is a person that does things, I mean, on the spur of the moment. Well, instead of having a wedding because she eloped, she wanted to have a wedding blessing. Now, what is a wedding blessing? Because she eloped, she wanted uh, to invite some friends to, to a gathering where a message would be preached and just a prayer or blessing upon the marriage would be made. And she asked me to preach the message. She said, would you be willing to preach the marriage blessing message? And I said, well, if I do, I'm going to be speaking on the role of the husband and the wife as presented in Scripture. She took a deep breath and she said, okay. Now, you have to understand my sister Nora. She is a progressive. She professes Jesus Christ, but she is a, a, a big follower of our current president, President Barack Obama. In fact, she uh, was part of the team that helped him get elected as a senator in Illinois. In fact, if you were, if you were watching the Democratic Convention after Michelle Obama uh, presented her speech, there were several ladies that were meeting her at the end of the stairs, hugging her, one of which was my sister Nora. Uh, so when I told her I was going to preach this message, the role of the husband and the wife 
she was a little apprehensive because she knew a lot of her liberal friends were going to be there. So as I started to unpack the passage specifically dealing with, you know, husbands loving your wives and wives submitting to your husbands, as we see there in, in Ephesians, there were people in the crowd there in Chicago that were actually getting up and walking out because they were just appalled at what I was saying. I mean, you could sense the people's faces just, just getting upset with what I was proclaiming. In fact, there was one columnist, 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 is this columnist? person that writes columns in the newspaper, from the Chicago Sun-Times that was going to write an article about my message, about me, and about my church. But when he found out that I was from Michigan, he didn't bother. But this is the response that people have when it comes to preaching and proclaiming truth. And the truth of the matter is this. Our gospel message is not one message among many. It is the only message. Our God is not one God among many. He is the only God. Our Christ is not one Christ among many that gets people saved. He is the only way of salvation. He is the only truth. He is true life. And when Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. He is making an absolute statement. And that statement we are now called to proclaim. That message is what we are called to testify. And understand that as John fifteen nineteen reminds us, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. So, when it comes to proclaiming truth, as we will see here in Matthew 10, there is a certain antagonistic response that the unregenerate world will manifest when presented with the absolute truth of the gospel. And this antagonism is the subject of Jesus' discussion as he prepares his disciples to go forth and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Now again, let me remind you that Matthew 10, the disciples are to go out and preach the gospel of the kingdom. Now this gospel of the kingdom is the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, we understand that we must view this gospel message against the backdrop of the Old Testament prophetic kingdom. Uh, as you look at the Old Testament prophetic kingdom, this was the kingdom where you would have a member of the human race, son of God, come and rule Israel, where Israel would have the favored nation status. What we observe, this Messiah would bring peace on earth. This Messiah would be one who would bring great prosperity But the gospel that we have today, as we view it in light of 1 Corinthians 15, is one of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we see this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I've also received, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, 
and that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to Scripture. Now, this is the gospel that we preach today. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, the gospel of the kingdom could not be that. And the reason is clear. Jesus Christ was still what? Still alive. So the good news of the kingdom and the good news that we have today are not the same. But the irreducible minimum of both messages is faith in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ alone. The gospel that we preach today includes a proclamation that must be made to all nations. But you look here at the text. Notice what Jesus tells his twelve to do. These twelve, Matthew ten five and 6, these twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of of Israel. So, the message that we proclaim today is a message that is to go to all people groups. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The message in the first century that, that Jesus Christ is preparing His disciples to proclaim is a message of repentance, for the kingdom of God is at hand, the Messiah is here. It's a message that is exclusive to Israel. The message of the kingdom will be validated through miracles performed. Notice what Jesus does in verse 1. And he summoned his twelve and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Verse 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. So, so what Jesus is doing is giving them authority to heal He's given them authority to, to cast out demons, to, to, to raise the dead, to validate the message that the Messiah is here. When you study the Old Testament, you see that this is connected to that. And Jesus shared with his disciples that although he wanted people to accept this message of the kingdom, the message would be rejected. And not only would the message be rejected, but they, that is the disciples, would experience adversities, oppositions, and suffer persecution for proclaiming that message. Notice with me, please, verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. And, and, and this persecution, this resistance, would also be expected from family members. Verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Now, this is the gospel of the kingdom. This is the first century message. The message of having faith in Messiah. People would resist it. Israel would reject it. Opposition will come from family members. And not only from family members, but from society itself. Notice here verse 22. And you will be hated by all because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. And of course, this I think is now pushing through uh, to what's going to happen at the end of the 70th week of Daniel. Something that, 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 that is, again, Israel-related. So this message here is talking to... 
the disciples going to their own people so that we could see God's divine plan that his son came to his own and his own what? Received him not. But one has to ask themselves this question, why all the hassle? Why bother? Why is Jesus preparing his disciples to go forth and proclaim a gospel message, the good news of the kingdom, knowing that these things will happen? I mean, think about it. I mean, I share with our folk there in Lake Orion to put a little microchip in their brain. Figuratively speaking. <laughs> and understand that whenever you present the gospel to someone, most of them will reject it. Most of them will. But some of them, those that God has imparted spiritual life to, will receive. Notice here what it says in verse 19. That when persecution comes... Jesus assured his disciples that the Spirit of the Father would be with them. Verse 19, but when you are handed over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you at that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speaks, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. So why the hassle? Because when it comes to salvation anyway, it's the Spirit's work. And as born-again believers who have the Spirit, when we go and witness to someone, we don't have to worry about our persuasive speech. We just have to rely on the power of God. Now, although this message of the kingdom in Matthew 10 is distinct from the church... Okay, that is, we understand that this message is directed to Israel. This message is exclusive. Uh, this message is not necessarily the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it is in faith in Jesus Christ. The principles concerning the proclamation of truth is certainly applicable to the first century and to today. The principles that we draw from this text, from this chapter, we could apply to each and every one of us here tonight. In keeping with the context of the proclamation of truth, and this is what we're saying, Jesus Christ is telling go proclaim truth. We're told, go proclaim truth. We see Jesus preparing his disciples for the task by stating what they should expect in the process. Notice here, he tells them, expect for many to reject the message. If, they reject the master, that is, if they reject Jesus Christ, they will also reject his messengers. This is true. If, if they reject the message of the master, they rejected the master, hence they will also reject his messengers. Notice here verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he becomes like his teacher, and the slave like his master. If they call the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of his household? The point is pretty clear here. Because the servant is not above his master, if they call the master a demon, what do you think they're going to call his faithful servants? 
if, if they called Jesus Christ Beelzebub, one who was born of fornication, a wine-bibber, what do you think they're going to call you and me? His servants. People reject the truth claims of Scripture because they reject the author of it. They reject Jesus Christ. Those committed to proclaiming the Master's truth should expect rejection. And why is this? Because the disciple is not above his master nor his servant above the Lord. And and this is a tough one to really process, isn't it? I mean, we want to be accepted. We want people to like us. We want people to think us sane, not mad. But when you think of the greatest theologian, the greatest pastor, the greatest missionary that ever lived, when you think of Jesus Christ and his ministering the first century, we see a big megachurch, right? We see many followers, right? No, we see him dying alone for you and me. A similar text appears in John 15, 18 and following. And this is in context of the world's hatred for those that are connected with Jesus Christ. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the words that I say to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. You get it? If they malign Jesus Christ, the Master Lord, they will malign His faithful servant. If they hate Jesus Christ, the Master Lord, they will hate His servants. But notice what John tells us. If they keep my word, they will keep yours also. So, when pastors in Bible-believing churches proclaim the word... Christ's word, and people are following their word, or following the word, they are in essence testifying, okay, we are following this man because he's following Jesus Christ. In essence, they're following our Lord. But people who hate Jesus will hate his servants, but the way that we know that these people are of Christ is when they keep his word and follow the words of faithful proclaimers of truth. So, Expect for many to reject the message. If they reject the master, they will also reject his messengers. We see that in Matthew 10, 24 and 25. But notice this other expectation, which is the other side. If some accept the message, it is because they have accepted the master. So, when I go and testify... And be a sole witnesser, as it were, be, be witnessing to people about Jesus Christ. I know that most will reject, but some will accept. And the most that reject are really rejecting not me, but whom? Jesus Christ. But notice what we read here in verse 40. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. So, so when I share the gospel, the, the, the truth 
of God's Word to an individual, and he receives the Word. He receives me. Who is he receiving? Jesus Christ. So ultimately, the messenger of truth is responsible only to proclaim the oracles of God. Now, how and when that truth takes root, how and when that truth germinates in the individual's heart is God's doing. When a person positively responds to the truth claims of the Scriptures and humbly submits himself to that truth, God is at work. And those who receive by faith the message of the gospel receive the Son, the Father, and His messenger. So when I proclaim truth and people reject me, I understand that it's not really me that's rejecting. But sometimes there is this ego in some that they have to be accepted. If people are big in your eyes that you have to be accepted, proclaiming the truth to them is going to be a difficult thing for you. If you have to be accepted by people, then standing up for what is true is going to be a difficult task. But when God is big in your eyes and finding acceptance with Him is your heart's desire and you manifest the love for others as God has manifested love for them, truth will sometimes hurt. Why? Because there's another expectation. Truth will divide. The truth that you proclaim is going to divide. Notice with me, please, verse 34 of Matthew 10. Do not think that I've come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. What we see here, and what we see Jesus proclaiming is this, that truth divides. When a faithful messenger of truth stands behind the pulpit, or when you proclaim the gospel message to a neighbor, and you say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to know God but by Jesus Christ, you're making a statement about Buddhism, about Hinduism, about Mormonism. You are making statements about other false religions that seek a way to God apart from the Son. This is the reality of truth. Why? Because truth divides. Jesus came to bring a sword. Now, what we see here is that Jesus did not come to send peace, but a sword. And this sword, in this context, is the gospel of the kingdom. It is what's getting the disciples in trouble. Now, when a person accepts the gospel, we understand that it does bring peace. 
It brings peace to those who submit to it. It brings a peace that passes all understanding to those who embrace it. But it is equally true that it thrusts those who are proclaiming truth into a war against this world system. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, folks. The gospel was introduced not to save the world, but to save individuals out of the world. And this is what Jesus Christ is saying. If the world loves you, the world what? Loves its own. But because I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So there's an admonition that Jesus Christ is giving. I mean, just think about it. He's telling him, okay, when you go forth, expect rejection. Many will reject you. Okay, Many will persecute you. Uh, you have a sword. It's going to divide. You're going to have brother against brother, mother against daughter. This, this, this gospel message is, is, is going to be a wedge. So what do you think Jesus Christ is endeavoring to do? Notice with me, please, verse 26. Therefore, do not fear them. Notice verse 28. Do not fear those. Verse 31. So do not fear. So in spite of all this truth concerning truth, what we see here is Jesus calling his disciples to take courage in the midst of this opposition that will come when you stand for the truth. Take courage. Okay? He tells them, hey, proclaim the truth without fear. Verse 26, therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness... Speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim it upon the housetop. Now, let me give you a dynamic equivalent here. What I tell you in private, proclaim it in public. What I tell you uh, on the one-on-one basis, you shout it from the housetops. So here Jesus Christ is teaching the disciples privately because he wants them to to proclaim that message publicly. Here, you might say, this is a private time where instruction is being given to go forth and proclaim message, the message publicly. Now, as you look at the text, this concept of clarity, proclaim the truth clearly, is seen in, the, in, the, in this expression, speak in the light. What I teach you in, in, in the darkness, or teach you on the one-on-one, I want you to preach clearly in the light. This concept of preach it upon the housetop carries this idea of boldness. So so these disciples were being called by Jesus Christ to proclaim the truth of Christ clearly and boldly from the housetops. Jesus, of course, alludes to the fact that the clear and bold proclamation of the truth would cost his disciples their lives. Notice here verse 28. 
Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body or soul and body in hell. So, so do you think Jesus Christ was telling his disciples, hey, be ready to die for this truth? Recently, I heard a message on missions. This pastor was outlining several things that pastors need to do to prepare their people for worldwide missions. One of them, well, let me list four, the fourth, uh, four of them. One of them was give sacrificially. Another is pray expectantly. Expect God to do something. Another one is make sure that you doing your part in your ministry to send forth people to proclaim. And the fourth one, and we, or I as a pastor, had to admit I was failing in this, prepare your people to die for missions. Think about it. As a ministry... First Baptist of Lake Orion, we made a commitment to get 25 cents out of every dollar that comes in towards mission. So 25% from our general budget goes to missions. We have an active missions program. People give sacrificially. We have people from our ministry that are, are sent from our church. In fact, we're trying to get a missionary right now. Uh, I think you know him, Jonathan Moore, uh, to um, Nairobi, Kenya. We pray for missions. We teach on missions. But this one, prepare your people to die for missions, to give their life for missions. Now, the challenge that we have is that we are Americans, or we sometimes think as Americans who happen to be Christians, when in reality we are Christians who happen to be Americans. When you think about our fellow brothers and sisters, let's say in China, those in the Middle East who are being persecuted for their faith, willing to die. This is the type of mindset that we as Americans must embrace because we are Christians who happen to be Americans. And here we have Jesus Christ preparing His disciples. Hey, when you proclaim truth, yeah, your life is at stake, but don't be afraid of the person that could take your physical life. Fear him that could take and cast both your body and soul into hell. In other words, fear me. And what we see in the text are just simple truths here. By proclaiming truth boldly and clearly, you are showing some things. One of the things that you show is that you truly fear God. Who you truly fear. Notice again. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather, fear Him who is able to destroy both body and soul. And now, in other words, He's saying, fear me, don't fear them. If you fear man, you will not proclaim the truth boldly. And by proclaiming the truth boldly and clearly, you are showing that you are part of God's family. Again, notice here, it is not enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher, verse 25, and a slave like his master. If they called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more would they malign the member of his household? 
you know, when we proclaim the truth, we are testifying who we belong to, who we fear. We know it's going to be rejected, but we are to fear God rather than man. And we're showing who we belong to. Verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. So what are we doing? We are doing the teacher's, the master's bidding. It is not our opinion. It is not really an option. We are to proclaim the truth of God. But notice here the promises in the text for proclaiming the truth. Number one, when everything is said and done, the servant will be proven true. The servant will be vindicated. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. In other words, we're proclaiming the truth. We are saying Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. People are calling us intolerant. People are calling us uh, enemies, you might say, of a tolerant society to suggest such things. Is something that is to be repudiated and silenced. But guess what's going to happen? God will vindicate His servant. Every being made in the image of God, of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth, will know that Jesus Christ is what? Lord to the glory of God the Father. The servant will be vindicated. Notice that the servant of God will be cared for. Verse 29, talking about God's care for two sparrows. Notice here, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than the sparrows. So when I go forth and proclaim the truth of God, knowing that it's going to be rejected by most, and there are some, or maybe one, that will accept it. Yes, I may face persecution, I may be the target of aggression, but I know that my Father is with me. Yes, they may take my life, but that's all they could take. Because the very hairs on my head are numbered now. It doesn't take much to count the hairs on my head. But the Lord has put a number on every one of them. To me, as we conclude tonight, as we look at the end of the chapter, God's servant will be rewarded. He who receives a prophet uh, in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a uh, of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Of course, I wish I had time to really unpack what we see here, but the whole point is this. When we proclaim God's truth as a prophet knowing that, yes, we're going to be persecuted, yes, we may be even killed like the Old Testament prophets, we will not lose our reward. So, as we look at this text by way, again, of summation, 
know that when you proclaim truth, most will reject. The truth that you proclaim is going to divide. The truth that you proclaim is going to be one that's going to be resisted. If they reject Jesus Christ, they'll reject you. If they accept you, they have accepted whom? Jesus Christ. But don't be afraid. Don't fear them. Understand that God is with you. When you proclaim truth, you're showing who you truly fear, who you truly belong to. And there is a reward. Now, some people say, well, wait a minute, that's a selfish reward. Now, selfish thing. No, I don't believe that that's the case. I think it's a selfish thing to seek a reward from men. But what is so selfish about seeking a reward from the highest being that there is? Seeking the approval of the highest, most holy of beings. Nothing wrong with that. How many here want to hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That is from the highest being. A high reward. And this is why the Apostle Paul presses towards those crowns. And I trust as you look at this, that you will go forth understanding, yes, I need to proclaim the truth boldly and clearly, understanding that this truth will divide, but there are those that God has so intended to bring to himself that with that truth, he will call people out of the world and unto, uh, 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 call them out of the world to himself and, and, and unto life eternal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of the gospel. Father, we understand that in a world today that seeks tolerance, truth has fallen on hard times. But we just ask you, Lord, that we as your children will proclaim it clearly and boldly, knowing that you are with us knowing that you have your, your eye upon us, that we do not escape you, and we praise you for that. We ask, Lord, that you give us the Spirit to proclaim that message boldly. For it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.